There are massive parts of this industry that are getting overlooked and unrewarded. There's like a 60% chance you like this. It's an entire beloved genre of movie. I really liked it. Imagine Inside Out meets Bo is Afraid. Welcome to Jimmy's Movie Club, a podcast where I give lots of thoughts and ideas and unsolicited opinions. Well, uh, there was some pretty big news in the awards area of Hollywood this week. There's going to be a new category added to the Oscars in 2026. Being added in 2026 means the eligibility period for that award will begin in 2025. So there aren't going to be any movies that come out this year that will qualify for this award. Uh, But the new awards category is Best Casting. Very interesting. It makes total sense to me why this would be added as a category at the Academy Awards. It's just not something I had really thought of before. In all of the circuits that I have seen arguing for new awards to be going in, It usually comes in the form of awards for stunts and awards for voiceover, but uh, never awards for casting. I do think it's a great idea for a category. I think um, casting directors go through a lot and, and do a lot of work to get the kind of casting that best suits the film that they're in. And hopefully this incentivizes leaning away from stunt casting. I'd say one of the biggest issues with the way that movies are cast right now is they're cast solely around who's going to draw in the most audience rather than who is the best pick for this particular project. And let me explain what I mean by that. Imagine for a moment it's 2012 and in 2012 there is going to be a film version of the musical Les Miserables. Now, there are many amazing singers and performers from the musical theater world that can be very easily just kind of picked up and plucked out of theater and placed in front of a camera that can give a very good and grounded screen performance for any of these roles. But In the interest of appealing to a very large demographic who might not like musical theater, we decide to cast Mr. Russell Crowe as Javert. That's what we call a stunt cast. Uh, It is someone who is not actually right for that role, who is cast because he is famous. And especially in 2012, he was very famous at the time. Very, very popular actor at the time. Yeah, and that's how we got Les Mis in 2012. Perhaps uh, an actual category for casting at the Academy Awards will cause casting directors to approach casting with a little bit more tact, perhaps in a way that honors the vision of a given director or writer in a way that suits the movie best. 
rather than just a way that brings in the most cash. And, you know, and it it will undoubtedly give credit to amazing casting directors that have done a really great job in just putting together these incredible ensembles, finding new talent, all that kind of stuff. A, a, A great example of this this year would be The Holdovers. And the casting in The Holdovers is unbelievable. It's so good. Paul Giamatti, first off, is, of course, just a near-perfect man, but uh, the choice to put, like, Davine Joy Randolph in that role over a a massive amount of other potential actresses that could have been there, it's just inspired casting. It's so good. You know, it would give credit to casting directors who, for instance, decide to put Robert Downey Jr. uh, in as Iron Man, one of the great casting choices of this century, I'd say. I like it. I like the choice. Um, I like that it's making its way into the awards category, and I, I like that it's gonna be something that people pay a little bit more attention to from now on. Because I, I do think it's something people don't really think about. Another issue, and I, I found this especially earlier last month with the Mean Girls movie, Ongori Rice in as Katie Heron. I know that Angori Rice is incredibly talented. She's a wonderful actor, but she's unfortunately very inappropriately cast in the Mean Girls movie, and it makes her look bad. And hopefully adding this helps audiences to create a little bit more of a distinction between is this a bad performance or is this just is or is this just bad casting? And then, likewise, when it's really great casting, we'll notice that and acknowledge that. I mean, think about some of the great casting ensembles of all time. Think about, like, The Office, an absolutely perfectly cast show. And someone's responsible for that. We don't know who it is. It might be uh, Mike Schur. We don't know exactly who was the casting director, who was overcasting for that. And casting's a grueling process. Uh, because, you know, you go through rounds and rounds of auditions and, and uh, self-tapes and callbacks and the whole gambit. It's a huge part of the movie-making process that, uh, up until now, doesn't have really any acclaim anywhere other than potentially you have the argument that uh, best actor, best actress, best uh, supporting actor, best supporting actress is a reflection of that. But, I mean, it is an entirely different thing altogether. Good job, Academy. I like the choice. This this is uh, going to be the first category added to the Oscars since 2001. So first one in 24 years that has been added. Uh, the 2001 edition being Best Animated Feature Film. It's interesting because when the Academy Awards uh, first really became a thing in 1928, there weren't very many categories. It was uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, and Best Adapted Screenplay. I think at the time it was uh, Best Screenplay Based on Another Property or something along those lines. They shortened it to make it a little snappier. And then later, when sound and talkies became more of a thing uh, in in 1930... Best sound was added to the list of categories. And then eventually they started adding, you know, short films, editing. Interestingly, best animated short film has been a category since 1930. So it took almost 100 years (laughs) uh, to get uh, best uh, feature length animated film 
as as a category, which I find really interesting. But, you know, eventually best score, best song, uh, best supporting actor and actress, best visual effects, uh, best original screenplay, documentary, international feature, costume design, makeup design, it all came later. And now, best casting. But I do want to take this opportunity to harp on a couple of categories that I still think are missing from these very underappreciated contributions to films in general, and that's stunts. It's really easy for me to get annoyed with celebrities who boast the fact that they do all their own stunts when we know for a fact they really don't, right? They might do a lot of their own stunts, they might do a lot of their own fighting, but, I mean, the the acclaim for the stunts has to go to stunt coordinators and stunt men. So, like, in this circumstance, I feel like an award would look like Best Stunt Coordination, and the award would go to whoever the stunt coordinator is, the stunt supervisor is. It can be awarded in a, in a number of ways, but stuntmen are just such a vital part of the industry, particularly in action movies. And it's just something we don't really think about all that much. But these guys are putting their lives and their bodies on the line in order to create this little bit of entertainment. I think about some of the incredible movies from the last few years that are made possible because of incredible stunt performers. I think about the John Wick movies. I think about the Raid movies. I think about Marvel movies like Shang-Chi. These are movies that all the credit tends to go to the actor when all the hard stuff is really being done by the stunt performers. The, the exception to this, of course, is like a Tom Cruise who is notoriously putting his own body on the line. You, you could almost argue that Tom Cruise is more of a stuntman than he is an actor, though. It's an entire beloved genre of movie in the world. A lot of these stunt films. Like, like if you ever wonder why John Wick is such a popular franchise, it's because it's basically a big stunt show. It's, it's an opportunity for experienced stunt performers to create and direct a movie. I mean, that's really what it is. And some of the most innovative and incredible things come from these people that do it for a living. And when you really start to clue into that kind of thing, it becomes really easy to notice when a director doesn't really know how to shoot action. Because inevitably, the stunts become less visible, the camera gets shakier, the physics goes out the window, and you know... A host of other things. But, you know, as as of now, Best Stunts is really looped into the Best Visual Effects category, and I just don't think it belongs there, because it's so much of its own thing. Now, there is one caveat to that, and the, the danger you get for rewarding Best Stunt Coordination is inevitably you'll get people that will volley for that award and create potentially very dangerous work environments. And I understand that. I, I get that that might be a major concern. The safety of the performers, maybe that's something that's taken into account when deciding who gets nominated and who wins that award. The safety of performers isn't necessarily something that's taken into account with, like, best director and, uh, and you know, uh, visual effects or cinematographer or anything like that either. But, you know, it, there's something to be said about that. So I'm very much in that camp. 
All right, I'm very much in the camp of let's figure out a way to reward stunt coordinators. I mean, stunts have been a part of the film industry since the very beginning. I mean, you look at Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton from a long, long time ago. They were stuntmen. That's how film really got started. It's pretty weird to me that we don't reward that in any way. And when we do, it frequently goes to the actor for whom the stunts are being performed. Let's look at that, Academy. I know you're listening to this. I submit that to you. Let's look at how we can get stunt coordination into the Oscars. Now, the more pressing one, in my opinion, that I am ready to fight people on, (laughs) best voiceover performance, needs its own category. There has never been a voiceover performance that has ever been awarded for any movie or even nominated. There, There is one instance. Uh, in 2001, Eddie Murphy was nominated for a BAFTA for Best Supporting Performance in Shrek. That's really the closest anyone has ever come to winning an award for a voiceover performance, in the film industry at least, which I find really odd because voiceover is such a difficult and complicated area of the industry. It's so hard to create a character and an energy and a believability through only your voice. Here we have another issue that we frequently lose out on great voice performances due to stunt casting. It happens very often, people. It happens very, very often. The most talented voiceover actors in the industry are typically no names. They're usually people you've never heard of, but you have heard their voices before. But we have this this issue of celebrities making their way into voiceover, and a lot of times the celebrities aren't actually all that great at voiceover. Maybe they are in some circumstances, but not in other circumstances, Chris Pratt. There are many examples of voiceover performances that were so good, they did actually come close to Oscar consideration. Eddie Murphy as Donkey in Shrek is one of those examples. Another example, Albert Brooks and Ellen DeGeneres in Finding Nemo. Another example, Andy Serkis in The Lord of the Rings as Gollum. And you might argue, well, that's motion capture, but let, I mean, for the sake of this, let's just all loop it in together. Because Andy Serkis's performing is all for reference. The main part of his performing that we're actually getting is his voice. And all of his acting acting is, is reference that is then recreated by the visual effects artists. But, I mean, there's an argument to be had for him as Gollum. There's also an argument to be had for Andy Serkis as Caesar in the Planet of the Apes movies. Scarlett Johansson in her is a good example of uh, of one of these. Uh, Phyllis Smith in Inside Out. Shameik Moore in Into the Spider-Verse. So it's one of these things where we have these really incredible performances that pop up in the voiceover world, in the animated world, in the motion capture world, and yet there's no avenue right now to really reward them because they're going up against full performances. Like, I love all of these performances as much as the next, but I get it. If you're looking at just specifically an acting category, you want someone who's acting with their whole body not just with their voice. But voiceover is such a big part of the industry now that it feels weird that we aren't able to reward the incredible performances 
from those, but we are able to reward the movies that they're in. It's a little odd to me. So like, I'd go back to this past year and think about what vocal performances I would reward. I mean, instantly what comes to mind is almost the entire cast of Into the Spider-Verse is incredible. Jack Black as Bowser <laughs> in uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie um, would be an excellent choice. Uh, both Chloe Grace Moretz and Riz Ahmed in Nimona give incredible voiceover performances. My point is, it's there, all right? We've got the manpower. <laughs> And obviously, that a, a voiceover performance is not restricted to animated films, right? There are plenty, again, like I said, there's motion capture. So, like, anyone from the Avatar movies could, could get that kind of a nomination. The Planet of the Apes movies could get that kind of a nomination. I mentioned Scarlett Johansson from Her. Documentaries, narrations, like, the fact that Morgan Freeman doesn't have an Oscar for any of his uh, narrations yet, are you kidding me? My point is, there are massive parts of this industry that are getting overlooked and unrewarded. And if we're going to reward animated films and visual effects and documentaries, we should also probably be willing to reward other aspects of those films that make it possible. Big parts of those films, right? So, Oscars, like... Best casting, great, awesome, happy for you. It's a good category, it needed to happen, yes. Let's uh, start working on stunt coordination and voiceover performances, please, and thank you. All right, with that, let's get into the movies that I saw this week. Guys, oh my heavens above, I saw three new movies this week, and you know something? I really liked one of them. <laughs> First and foremost, uh, new movies, uh, all, all three of these are new movies this week. I saw Lisa Frankenstein earlier this week, and um, I don't really know what I was expecting with this one. It's kind of marketed as a Jennifer's Body meets Weird Science kind of a movie. It's, I don't, it's probably not as good as either of those movies. I really liked it. <laughs> it's, I think it's really funny. I laughed a lot. I totally fell into the vibe of this movie. This is the first time I've, I think, enjoyed Catherine Newton. I still don't know if I think that she's the best actor, but I do think she's like adequately cast in this role. I actually think Cole Sprouse is doing a really great job in this movie. I think it's funny, guys. It's got some great needle drops and some great comedic moments that will have your head spinning. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It's is it is a dark comedy. It's it's a little bit gruesome. Uh, but man, oh man, if you can lock into that tone that it's going for, it's a pretty fun time. I, I really enjoyed it. All right, my next one is a little more controversial because I feel like most people are having an overall positive experience with uh, Orion and the Dark. It's a new uh, DreamWorks uh, straight-to-Netflix movie that came out this week starring Paul Walter Hauser. And uh, it's about a little boy who uh, is afraid of the dark. So a personified version of the dark shows up in his bedroom late at night and decides, hey, I'm going to take you on a journey around the world with the other night entities to help you no longer be afraid of me. The screenplay here 
interestingly, is written by Charlie Kaufman, and I didn't know that until after I'd already seen the movie, but I'll tell you, it makes sense. If you don't know who Charlie Kaufman is, he wrote a number of of really interesting, profound, like, philosophical movies. My favorite one being a, a little movie called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. If you haven't seen it, it is a Jim Carrey film, but it's very dramatic. Jim Carrey finds out that his girlfriend has undergone this procedure. They get, you know, they get in this big fight and his girlfriend gets this procedure that eliminates all of her memories of him. And so almost in retribution, he goes and gets the same operation done on his brain. And the majority of this movie is the night in which this operation is getting done on him, and it is going through his mind as he relives all of his memories with this woman and slowly starts to forget them. It is such a beautiful and interesting movie. It's got so much to say about relationships and love and the beauty of love and the beauty of tension, the struggle for love and how it's actually not worth it to just forget all of that. Uh, it's a really great movie. I cry so much whenever I watch it. It's also just a uniquely shot and uh, presented film. It's it's really really great. Orion and the Dark. It has a very. I mean, I guess I'm giving uh, cross movie examples today. Uh, imagine Inside Out meets Bo is Afraid. <laughs> I can't even say that without cracking up, but that's really what it is. It's it's Inside Out meets Bo is Afraid, and it's kind of a derivative combination of the two of them. It has an interesting script that opens a lot of thematic and philosophical nuances and questions and quandaries, and one thing it does that I do really like is it really trusts kids to think about the deep stuff. And not enough movies do. So it it really gives kids credit in their ability to think about more interesting and perhaps more complicated ideas. But, like, at the end of the day, it still just kind of feels like an inside-out ripoff. And I couldn't get past that. I think if it was less about the night entities as a whole and it was more just about this kid's journey with Dark, and if instead of being a feature-length movie, it was a short film that was maybe 10 or 15 minutes, it would be a much, much stronger impact from the themes than it ends up being. It feels like a lot of runtime fodder in this. And when I say runtime fodder, I just mean sometimes in animated movies, they struggle to fill the necessary requirements of a feature-length film. So they add in lots of oh, quirky character things and little sequences and stuff that that literally just exist to pad the runtime so it can be released as a feature film. And there's a lot of that in this. A lot of it. So that makes it hard for me personally to enjoy. I gave it two stars. It A lot of people like it more than I do. I, I think I'm harder on it than most other people are. So it might be worth watching simply because most everyone else moderately likes this movie. The last one I saw is a really interesting movie called Out of Darkness. This is one of those movies that can only ever come out in February. <laughs> it like this would not do well in any other month, I don't think. I think February is really the sweet spot. It is a caveman horror movie 
You heard that right. It's a caveman horror movie, or the whole movie uses a fake language that was invented by the screenwriters, and that's like the caveman speak. Basically, it's this uh, small family of, of early, early, early homo sapiens who are trying to get to this other land, and uh, they're being hunted by something. And I won't spoil what it is. I loved the reveal of what this thing is, though. I thought it was a great direction to take this in. Overall, it's just kind of standard, right? Like, it's it's a cool idea. There's some good sequences. Uh, sometimes it's a little scary, but not really. Uh, it relies on jump scares a lot, which is pretty lazy. Ultimately, I don't think it really knows what it wants to say. Like, it starts to move in one direction and then just completely forgets about that and moves in a different direction, and then it completely forgets about that, and then you realize the movie was about this the whole time, even though everything before then the movie was about something else. So it's like, it's a little bit confused of a movie, but it's a cool enough premise, and it's like directed well enough. I, I can give it like an okay rating. I can, I can confidently give it three stars and be like, hey... There's like a 60% chance you like this. <laughs> that's not great odds, but, but hey, that's what we do here, and that's how movies go sometimes. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Jimmy's Movie Club is recorded, edited, and produced by me, Jimmy Henderson. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. You can find me on Letterboxd at Jimmy Henderson, that's J-I-M-M-Y-H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N, or on Instagram at Jimmy Henderson Actor. And finally, if you enjoy the sultry sound of my voice, I have another podcast called Follow Spot that I host with my good friend, Ben Butters. See you next time. Bye.